Well, good morning. Welcome to Lifestone Church. We're glad you guys are here this morning. Um, if you're new with us, we're very glad you're here. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to be welcomed and be showered with gifts, uh, go by the new here area in the lobby. And uh, we just love uh, new people, and we, we, we just want to share with you uh, that we really appreciate you spending your time, taking some time to come and be with us. Um, and here's a way to connect up here, I think, maybe. Here it is. Uh, today, this seems how we connect, right? We text each other, and, and that's one of our primary sources of communication, it seems like. And so if you want to stay in communication with Lifestone Church, just text welcome to that number if you haven't already done that, and uh, you'll get connected and hear about what's happening at our church and Really easy to get out of that, too. Um, Let's pray, and uh, we will jump into Romans. God, we love you. We thank you for today. Uh, We thank you for uh, an opportunity to experience who you are, your love, your grace, your truth. Um, God, thank you for an opportunity to gather with one another. Uh, We're commanded to not forsake the gathering of each other. That's an important thing, that we come together and we encourage each other, we pray for each other, we share each other's burdens and joys. And so, God, thank you for giving us that opportunity here this morning. Help open our ears, open our eyes to your truth, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, guys, uh, we are, yes, continuing in the book of Romans, and we're going to wrap up uh, a chapter here. And uh, as we do that, we need to be reminded and have context of of where we've been and what we've done. Um, Because most of Romans, the vast majority of it, is not a book of what many people think of of, of Christianity. They they put it in this category, or, or just here's a religious book that we read. And a religious book must be all these things that we have to do to be right with God. But Romans... Uh, just one of the most, I mean, many people say that is the book that really sums up the Christian faith, perhaps the best uh, that God has given us. And, and, and for 11 chapters, most of it, it's here's what God has done. That's the, the huge difference, that the good news, the gospel, I shared with you guys a couple weeks ago, I was in Costco talking to a couple about what the gospel is. And as they rattled off the Gospels, here's all these things that we do. Here's this, this elaborate description of things that we do. Uh, when I had a chance to share what the Gospel is based on what we're about to read here, it's, it's not what we do. It's what God has done for us. Um, and so let's look at Romans 3.22. If you get anything out of going through Romans, go, okay, Romans 3. That really sums up. Uh, what the gospel is. And there's just, there's no ambiguity here. I think I used that word last week. I was like, wow, big word, Pastor Ben, you go. (laughs) There is just no, you know, getting around the simple truth that is proclaimed here in Romans 3.22. Let's look at this, because this is the basis of what we're going to talk about. Um, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. And I love that. I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know your background. I don't know your baggage. I don't know the ways that you've stumbled or falled or, or, or the good things that you've done. And what a wonderful uh, life you've led. Uh, the Bible says we all come short, but um, it says this is for everyone. No one is excluded. 
And I've talked to many people who have made really poor choices in life. And, and they think for some reason, God's grace, there's no way it could cover uh, their life and what they've done. But it says that, that everyone's included in this invitation. Verse 23, for everyone has sinned. We all for, fall short, short of God's glorious standard. There's no room for pride in the Christian faith. There's no room for looking down at anyone else because we've all come short of God's standard. We've all sinned. We've all rebelled against him. Verse 24, yet God, and that's the best two words maybe in Romans, (laughs) yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalties of penalty of our sins. I mean, just simply put, it's all what he did. And how do we respond and how do we receive forgiveness? How do we receive righteousness and all the things that we've talked about for so many weeks? It's simply faith. And faith is simply putting our confidence in something. And, And here, in this instance, we're putting our confidence in Jesus and what he's accomplished rather than confidence in anything that we can contribute or do. And it says that that's the simple way, that's the simple Christian message, that's the simple way that God has, uh, offers us this way to be right. And it's the only way to be right with him. And then we hit, I say that's the basis, because we have to know, uh, as we go into chapter 12, and now uh, we're even beyond that, it, it tells us, like, this is how you respond to such amazing stuff that God has done for you. That we, we do live different lives because of what God has done for you. But so many people confuse us living different lives and having different priorities and having different passions with us that being a part of us earning our salvation or our right standing with God or trying to help us be more righteous or more worthy. And that is not the case. We have the righteousness, the worthiness of Jesus. But because we've been given that, man, God's called us to live up to this incredible gift that we've been given. And so we're going to look at uh, Romans. You're like, really? Romans? Yep, we really are. It's on your screen. It's not in my notes. <laughs> Romans 13, 11 through 14. This is where we kind of left off last week in this chapter of like, okay, this is, this is what it looks like to live out your faith. And what we're going to look at this morning is kind of levels of faith. Sometimes I get scared to put it that way. But just your maturity in faith and how it grows. Um, and so in verse 11, it says, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So that's true for anyone who puts their trust and faith in Jesus. Ultimate salvation is is closer uh, than when you first believed. And there's a wake-up call, though. I mean, that's, pre- that's some strong language that Paul is, is, is using, and he's speaking to believers, and he's, he's saying, wake up, and, and what does he tell us to do in this urgency? Verse 12, The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. It goes on to say, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives 
for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling or jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. And so this little portion, if you took it completely out of context and just focused on this, this, oh man, this could fit just a religious system. And this is what we need to do And thinking, well, hey, here's, here's a great list of things that we need to work on to try to be right with God. But that's why I say all this to preface this, that we view it differently. We look at it differently because of what God has done for us. And because his ways are the best ways, that he loves us and we trust, we truly, we don't just, when we say we trust and have our faith in Jesus for our salvation, isn't that silly to, to trust God with our eternity, but then not trust him with our day-to-day living and in our relationships and in our priorities? Um, and, and so this should look like our lives because of what God has done, right? And a part of it, in the beginning of that verse, uh, we must live decent lives for all to see. Because as we've talked about for the last few weeks of responding to this amazing grace, we're God's ambassadors. We're his salespeople. We're his uh, representatives here in this world. His choice to share the good news with the world, I, yeah, I, you know, I, I sit there and scratch my head, but it's God and he, he knows what he's doing, so I trust him. But his plan is me and Ricky and everyone else. Like all of us is his plan to share this wonderful good news with the world. And we have no credibility if, if our lives don't look like we've encountered a holy God who's changed everything about who we are. If we continue to live just like everyone else, people look at our lives and go, why, why do I want anything you have? And so that's, that's an, one important aspect of it. Um, and so as we look at this call to wake up, I, I, uh, I want to jump now into Acts 19. All right? And, and, and I want to jump into Acts 19 because we see this cool picture of believers responding in a powerful way to a wake-up call, a very similar wake-up call, but we get a real-life example of what this looks like when God's people really takes this seriously and actually surrenders their life and, and examines every area of their life to surrender it to how God would want them to live. All right, so in Acts 19, um, give you a little context of this. This is uh, Luke writes the book, of the Dr. Luke, as he's called, because he was a physician, Amazing historian, uh, very detailed in his writing, being a a very educated man, uh, incredible uh, writings that he gives us. And I love all the detail that he gives us. And and, and this instance or this uh, story that we see is is, uh, happening in Ephesus. And uh, this is the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. It was kind of the gate to the east um, to Turkey and kind of the eastern part of the, the Roman Empire. This is a major city. This is a port city. Um, this is where just tons of people come through. But it's also a very religious city, uh, but very religious in the sense of, um, of course, they had like 
uh, just uh, a, a whole bunch of religions that they tried to follow. And it was very, like a lot of religions, very superstitious. And, and there were trinkets, religious trinkets and uh, religious rituals that they did that they thought would bless them. And they could even use these things sometimes to curse other people. And, and that was just pervasive in the whole culture. And uh, Paul comes along. He spends two years here, and he preaches. It's kind of interesting. Um, one of the leaders uh, gives him an opportunity to preach in this place. Check this place out. And here's something I love about the Bible. Do you see this place? Yes, there it is. Uh, this is the amphitheater that sat about 25 seats. Well, no, it's kind of crumbling. Probably doesn't see that many right now. But it sat about 25,000 people. And this was the place where people would share and teach the latest ideas and philosophies. And Paul teaches there uh, in the afternoons for two years. And him proclaiming his, uh, the, the gospel truth and his story just transformed this very large city. And his story is, hey, I used to persecute and kill Jesus' followers. They were known as people of the way. Because Jesus proclaimed to be the way, the only way, the truth of life. And, and uh, that's what we were known as early on. I kind of like that. And these people of the way, he, would, he sat, sat, sought out <laughs> to destroy the movement and, and really destroy anybody trying to follow or promote the movement. And then he got a hold of what the movement was really all about. He didn't understand it. And he would go on to share about how he was the, the Pharisee among Pharisees, how he had the Old Testament memorized, how he could argue and debate against anybody when it came to religious things. And, and he knew the one true God, but he didn't recognize what he was doing in Jesus until later on. And so now he's teaching that and he's proclaiming that. And uh, that's, that's where he is. Um, I'm trying to think what other... What are their essential stuff uh, setting to give you there? But let's just jump into Acts 19.8. It says, Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message, and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannius. And you know what Tyrannius means? Like, what do you, if you were to name your kid Tyrannius? Yes, like, he's a tyrant. Some of you guys are like, I should rename my kid. No. Um, so this was, that's what I think is interesting, because I feel like, and I don't know, but, but maybe God got a hold of this guy's heart, who's named after being someone who doesn't seem to love people or love God. But anyways... Um, I know why I paused there, giving you background a little bit. I wanted to share with you that picture that we had. That's today. And what's so awesome and beautiful about God's word is how he has preserved it and how accurate it is. And people who want to preach a different message from God's word, from the Bible, and reject God's word altogether, they will do, they'll come up with interesting theories about how God's word has not been preserved and how it's not trustworthy. But if you do your own investigation, uh, I, I, I promise you, you will find overwhelming evidence of how accurate it is. And, and for example, we don't have stories that don't match archaeology and don't match history. 
We have stories where we can look, we can stand, we can go to Ephesus today and we can stand in that Colosseum or in that amphitheater that Paul preached from that Acts talks about. Acts is really kind of unique. I, I said that Paul, or not Paul, Luke wrote it. And he gave us such detail. He gave us hundreds and hundreds of places, names of rulers, and dates. And every single one of these hundreds of different accounts in this historical record match all the history that we have supporting that. The Roman Empire, they, they kept a lot of records of who their rulers were and what dates happened and everything. And Acts matches exactly all the other historical documents. This is not a fairy tale. The Bible is not just written to, you know, moral stories and they didn't really happen. Um, unless it's specifically, hey, this is a parable. But, but this is real events that happened in real history. And I love that. We can, like, I did that once. Um, I, I was in charge in a church I was on staff at. Uh, in one of our VBSs, kids coming all week in the summer, and, and we really just try to share the gospel with them. And, and my little lesson was on Jesus' resurrection. And uh, I started pulling up images from Jerusalem and images of, of different things that are mentioned in the gospel. And they were like, wait a minute, Ben, that looks like a real place. I was like, oh, no. These kids don't know. They think these stories that we tell about Jesus and the places that he went and the things that he did is just, you know, like, I don't know, Little Mermaid, you know, and here's our little story that we have in church. No, these are really things that happen. Okay, so we're with Paul. What you doing, buddy? Um, but some came, uh, verse 9, he brought his, his group to preach there. Verse 10, it says, uh, this went on for the next two years. So that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jewish and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Isn't that cool? That God places Paul in this incredibly influential area and, and, and kind of place where all these people are coming through and hearing this message. I mean, I, I just envision people traveling through Ephesus and, and talking to people, hey, I got some downtime, I'm, you know, uh, bringing my goods to, you know, some other province to trade. What's there to do in Ephesus? And, like, at that time, people going, hey, if you got a free afternoon, you got to go to the amphitheater and listen to this guy. He, I mean, what he is sharing is incredible. You should hear just his testimony and his story is, is just amazing. And then he's got this story about who God is. And, and you know, and it seems like that, happened because it says the word of the Lord went out to all these places. Verse 11, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. And that maybe if you've got a church background, depending even maybe what kind of church you came from, you may have heard this story, that Paul would take his sweatband, you know, his like Nike sweatband, he was a tent maker on the side, and, and so I just imagine he had like a sweatband, and he's making his tents so the sweat doesn't drip onto his tent that he's making, and people are like coming going, hey, we've got a sick relative, we've got a sick friend, and he's like, well, I'm, i got a, 
I'm, I'm doing this, and I got, well, here, take my nasty sweatband and go, you know, pray in the power of Jesus' name, and they'll be healed. And things like that were happening. And, and some people would say, well, why don't we do that today? And God can do whatever he wants. And if he wants to do that today, he can do that today. I'm not going to limit God in any way. But in verse 11, it says that it was unusual. In some of your translations, it'll, it'll say that it was out of the norm, that this was different and spectacular, meaning that this isn't the norm. This isn't something that always happened. This isn't something we're never, uh, in all of Scripture, we have no commands or instructions to do this specifically, that this is descriptive, not prescriptive. And so, hey, if God wants to do this again, but it is a pattern that we see God do. When he's doing something new and establishing something new, in order for people to know that this is really from God, we see God perform things that are unusual, things that are miraculous to validate those things. And, and we look all the way back to the Old Testament of when, when God was working through Abraham and, and giving him special ability uh, through Moses and the Ten Commandments and, and, and freeing the people from Egypt and bringing them into the, the promised land and all these things as God was, had a new movement that was followed by, and then we get into the New Testament, Jesus and, and showing that he is who God says he is and there's these signs and miracles surrounding him. And then the early church starts. And we see all these new miracles and signs. But in between those moments of God doing these things, there were hundreds and hundreds of years where we don't have any records of things like that. Why? Because, as this describes, these were unusual. And so uh, it goes on in verse 13 to say, A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantations, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Isn't this interesting? When anything gets popular um, and, and gets the attention of the masses, you get copycats being cranked out left and right. Right? I'm trying to think. What's the latest thing? What's popular now? A while back, like fidget spinners. When they first came out, like, you, oh, man, there's these new things. And they came out to help kids who, you know, couldn't kind of concentrate and stuff. Like, how do I get a hold of these? Especially if you have, like, a, a little Jackson or something. Where do we get these things? And, uh, and now, not now, now they're dead, right? Now you can't find them anymore. But for, for a while there, you could find them at every gas station, right? Every, every checkout station station, like, at first they were kind of novelty, oh, hey, these are new, how do we get those? And then people, like, crank them out. Oh, people like these. And, and so Jesus, as Paul is making this wave in Ephesus, he's got some spiritual religious people trying to get on the bandwagon and trying to be a part of it. And so this group says, hey, they're trying to cast out evil spirits. They try to use the name of the Lord. I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches... So that's very, very descriptive there to tell us it's not who they're preaching. It's not who they're trusting in. But Paul preaches them, and man, some crazy things are happening. So we're going to use it. Seven sons of Sceva, 
Sounds like a cool band name, right? Um, A leading priest were doing this, but one time they tried it, the evil spirits replied. (laughs) Whoa, right? Should I do an evil spirit voice? I I don't know what I got. (laughs) Some old, no, I won't. Uh, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? That's what this evil spirit says. I know Jesus. I know. I don't know. Um, Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. So this, this person possessed with this demon spirit beats up and rips off the clothing of seven guys, obviously showing he has some supernatural strength or something. Um, verse 17, the story of what happened spread quickly through all of Ephesus. I, I didn't grow up with that story. I didn't, like, as a kid, like, color this story. Like, and here's the seven guys, and they're all bloody, and they're naked. Look, Mom, here's what we did in Sunday school. <laughs> We didn't do that. We skipped this story for some reason. Um, but this is, this is important. Uh, this is what happened. Because it spread quickly all, all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city. And the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. And then verse 18. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. And that's a translation from the New Living Translation. Some of your translations will say 50,000 drachnas. And so we know, I mean, another historical reference, that the amount that that would be in today's... (laughs) Uh, monetary uh, values would be millions of dollars. Is that not crazy? Verse 20. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful impact. So here's what we're going to look at. Here's the, the whole point of this story is who responded to people who were playing around with the name of Jesus? And trying to just get benefit for themselves out of the name of Jesus. And they're beaten and left naked and running away. But that shook up who? The unbelievers? No. That's what's interesting. In verse 18, many who became believers confessed their sins. It's belie- So they, they already believed and and accepted that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, but yet they still had a bunch of junk in their life that they weren't willing to surrender to God. And, and, And that's what Paul, I think, is telling us in Romans. He's talking to believers, and he's saying, look, here's the message, and you've accepted it. So now that you've accepted it, clean up your life. What's in your life that's preventing you from experiencing, what does verse 20 say at the very end? The message of the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. 
I don't know about you, I want the message of the Lord in my life and in every area that I touch and reach and, and in our community here to spread widely with a powerful effect. And it says it happens when believers confess sin, when believers recognize areas of their life that don't line up with what God desires. And that's what Paul's given us. Um, some of you guys are like, please let me fill in a blank. Please let me fill in a blank. So in your notes here, <laughs> number one, here's the three different ways I think, and I know this isn't all-inclusive, but this is kind of general, but this is kind of how we have faith in God. And, they, and I hope our, grow, our faith grows to maturity to number three. But number one is we just view God as a magic genie God. I think that's a lot of how people first approach God. Life gets tough. There's an there's a illness. There's a tragedy. And, and they've never cried out to God before. But now they're crying out to God because they view God as, as maybe my last resort to, to try to intervene in a situation that seems impossible. And so we look at God as a God that grants my wishes. And sometimes I think even as a baby believer or, or, or someone first coming to Christ, maybe we, we, we still have a little, a little of that in our lives. That's, that's how we view God. I say a prayer and God fixes everything. Think of how, what that relationship is like. Think if you had a relationship uh, with someone else and that's how you, how you treated it. They had money, they had power, and so, hey, if they wanted to, they, they, could, they could do a lot for you. And the only time you approached them and went to them is when you wanted them to do something for you. And if it didn't come through, well, then what? You're frustrated. If you view God as a vending machine and you punch in the prayer and the candy halfway drops, ah, what do you do? You kick the machine. You're mad at the machine. You're upset at the machine. Oh, God didn't come through. I prayed this prayer, where is God? And that's, that is a pretty shallow understanding because God is for you. And God is, is, is at your beck and call. And when you need him, you'll go to him. Otherwise, just, you know, do, do your God thing. I'll do my thing. Um, but sadly, that's a lot, a lot of times how... And, and maybe this might be a level of faith of someone who hasn't yet put their trust and faith in Jesus as well. Um, Number two, the cosmic consultant God. And I've seen this a lot in my own life. I've seen this in in, in other people. I I see this sometimes as I sit in a group, like a life group setting or something, and we open up God's word and we look at what God has proclaimed to us and we go, I like that, but I don't like that. And I'll take some of that, but uh, here's my reasoning. Here's some good reason why that doesn't apply to my situation. Like, yeah, God's clearly said that, but, you know, I'm just viewing it as God giving some good advice and as a suggestion. And what do you do with a consultant? Someone comes in, you, you, you respect them enough to pay them money, usually, kind of a business setting, I guess I'm giving you, to come in and to tell you how thing, you know, better way to do things. But, but you're in control of that relationship. And it's like, okay, this, this, this person might have some wisdom to share with me. But I'm going to kind of take what I, what I think is good and reject what I think is bad. 
And that is not a good way to approach God. And we see that all the time. You know, well, my, my situation living with my boyfriend or girlfriend is different. I've got, you know, we really love, I know God has clearly said that that's not his way to do relationships, but, but my circumstance is different because of finances, because of the, the length we've been together, because of we really love each other, because we're committed together, right? And we give all these, okay, uh-oh, I said finances, you know. Well, here's what God says to do with finances, and here's how he says to treat finances, as though they're not ours, they're his. He's got a principle of, of even how much to give, and, and, and he's given us a lot of guidance on how we view money and how, how it's such a blessing to be generous, but my circumstance is different. And so I don't, in this, I'll, I'll trust God for my salvation and go into heaven, but I'm not going to trust him with what I do with my paycheck or how I spend my money every month. Um, that's where a lot of us are, quite honestly. And I don't mean to just rag on finances, you know, uh, relationships on, on anything, as Paul gave a quick list there. Talked about jealousy and envy and, and, and gossiping and, and the kind of things that we do. Well, in my, I'm being helpful when I gossip, but people gossip about me and they're hurting me, you know. Um, and then number three is where we want to be to see God powerfully work in our lives and for his good news to spread in an amazing way. That he's Lord God. That he is Lord God. And whatever God says, I do. Regardless of my desires... And I think why this is so hard in our culture is one of the most offensive things that you can tell people in our culture is deny your desires. <gasps> That's who I am. Our whole culture, like our whole social like justice causes that we see in recent years have to do with me being able to fulfill my desires, whatever that is. Whatever material things I feel like I need because I desire those things, whatever lifestyle I feel like is who I am and is my desire, like that's our cultural message. And that's our, our righteous stance for a lot of people in their, in, their, in their righteousness today. That's their form of righteousness. And yet Jesus comes along and he says, follow me. And to do that, deny yourself. And pick up your cross. And those are the, that's the first message he gives to us. Deny yourself and follow me. And when you lose your life, in that way, you're going to gain real life, true life. And so um, in Philippians, uh, nope, we don't want to go there yet. Because here's the caution, and then we'll go to Philippians. The caution that, that, that as I look at this list and I'm really called to say, okay, what area of my life am, am I not surrendered to God? And, and knowing that, this isn't some kind of self-inflicted uh, uh, hardship that I'm trying to put into my life, uh, but that knowing that God's ways are the best ways. And I am deceived by not following him and saying that, that I'm going to have greater life and more abundant life in that. But as I go through these things and I try to more and more get to, ver to point three, I'll give you a little inside information about Lifestone Church. 
we sit down and we try to figure out how to proclaim the message to people, the good news. And a lot of people in our area, they don't know the good news. They know some other form of, 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 of a message. And, and, and we just want them to know, hey, if you're going to reject the good news of Jesus, at least know what it is. Okay? Here's the good news. Uh, it's what God has done, not anything that we've done. Um, and then what God's word tells us, the mission that we have in this world when Jesus ascended into heaven and he gave us this incredible mission, it was, we call it the Great Commission because it's, it's our great commission as believers that we're to go into all the world um, or, or go in as you're going into all the world, baptize believers in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey everything Jesus taught. So inside information, that's what Lifestone tries to do, is to proclaim this. No one's going to come be baptized, which means when people get baptized, I think this is interesting, um, historically for 2,000 years, the proclamation of someone getting baptized is Jesus is Lord. And I love um, somebody got, a couple actually, uh, two different people on two different days recently got baptized and, and I share that with people as they get baptized, like, hey, I, I've got one thing I want to ask you, like, what's your proclamation, or why are you doing this, and the, the, the thing that, you know, the, the thing that you respond with that believers have for, for centuries has been Jesus is Lord. But, but, you know, if you want to put that in some other way, and, and we had two people recently say, Jesus is my Lord, and I was like, ooh. Ooh, that's good. That's, that's maybe even better. But just that uh, it's so personal like that. So our goal, our mission, proclaim this good news. Those who respond, what the Bible says is that we direct them to get baptized, to, to make in a public way something that has already happened to them when they said yes to Jesus. But to proclaim that to others because right off the bat, God wants to use you to share Jesus with other people. And that's one of the big ways that he does that. And it's a way that you really kind of put your, your, your line in the sand and say, I am a Jesus follower. I do accept who he is. And then, did you catch the last part of the Great Commission? We want to help people obey what Jesus taught. And that's what this message is really a lot about. Getting to number three of actually living out Jesus as Lord of our lives. Surrendered living is something we call it. And that's why we do life groups. And that's why we're doing life classes. And that's why uh, all these things that we try to do to help people see and help me. I need it too. Uh, help people see what God wants in our lives and, and to follow it and be a part of it. And that is uh, an incredible blessing in our lives. But sometimes, here's a caution that we'll, we'll end with because I've seen this happen. Uh, we, we begin to step into allowing God to be over our lives and we get rid of a bunch of ugly, nasty junk in our lives that God doesn't want. And sometimes, this is just a caution, this doesn't always happen, we kind of start puffing ourselves up and going, check me out. Look at how awesome I am. Look at how righteous I am. Look at, look at and, and then when, when we do that, we start to look down at other people who aren't living like we're living, who haven't done, you know, that we got these examples here, haven't, haven't made these decisions to get rid of these things. And, and, and then we become what Jesus disdained the most, people who were self-righteous and said, look at all the wonderful things that we've done. So I, I say that, I think I always put that caution in 
when we talk about living a surrendered life, that still, as we do that, God gets all the credit. And anybody who's still stuck in an old pattern and hasn't yet done that, we don't look down on them, but we have compassion for them, and we want to lovingly help them step out of that stuff that just brings pain and, and uh, you know, pain to relationships and pain to God. And so Philippians 2, 3, last verse I want to share with you. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. If we're really surrendering to God and saying, hey, we want you to lead our lives, we'll be more like Jesus. And Jesus had this incredible compassion for other people and wanting them to receive the the good news and the salvation that, that he was bringing.